For whenever you're listening to the Joshi Pod, your weekly podcast about the world of Japanese women's wrestling, Joshi Wrestling. I'm your host, Eric Howard, coming to you from beautiful San Diego, California. You heard the opening. It only seemed fitting to start the show with Howard Finkel introducing a Joshi wrestler. It's been a real uh, rough week in uh, U.S. wrestling. Many WWE stars lost their jobs, but uh, definitely the roughest news news this week was the passing of Howard Finkel. He was the voice of wrestling for me. I watched the old uh, WWE from uh, Madison Square Garden when the uh, microphone would come from the ceiling. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, or from like WrestleMania one and stuff even before that. But, uh, yeah, it was the coolest thing was, uh, seeing that and hearing his voice there and new, um, uh, so we wish uh, him and his family and loved ones the very best, uh, shows are still on hold guys, obviously from the, uh, to fight the spread of COVID-19. Um, I'm happy some companies are still trying to put content out, uh, like Ice Ribbon and Tokyo Joshi Pro are having live autograph signings, while like companies like Gato Move are putting on the Choco Pro shows, which are amazing, uh, and even doing watch-alongs with uh, Aki, Emmy, and Mei Saruga. Um, so check those out, guys. Stay, uh, pay attention to the social media and jump in when you can. Uh, some of us can in the U.S. On the West Coast, it's kind of weird times, but um, I'm trying my best to uh, jump on when I can. Um, you guys in, in Europe and stuff, uh, I have a, well, depends on what time they start, but, uh, yeah, let's all do our best to, uh, jump in and join in whenever we can. I'm, in, I'm enjoying, um, uh, corresponding with you guys on those live, uh, watch alongs with, uh, Gato Move. I'm, um, on those pretty consistently. Um, I'm also doing the hashtag Joshi wrestling dance off, uh, <laughs> and it's in full swing. It's a lot of fun guys. I, I really enjoy interacting with you guys on that as well. Uh, I love the uh, the you tagging me on um, when more of the women uh, put out uh, dance videos. It's uh, it's pretty fun. Uh, Starlight Kid uh, raised the bar this week. Shuri Kondo was my girl for a long time, but Starlight Kid blew her away. Unfortunately, I love me some Shuri, but uh, Starlight Kid can't be denied. And then Maya Yukihi showed up out of nowhere, giving us something I didn't know she had in her. So yeah, uh, follow along. Hashtag Joshi Wrestling Dance Off. It's a lot of fun passes the time i do want to thank you guys for listening to last week's episode with gato moves yuna mizumori it was a difficult <laughs> a different chat uh the tropical yahoo uh getting aki to say that however many times i did i didn't i lost count but uh it was a whole lot of fun if you missed that episode please go back and listen our archives are filling up with some really fun interviews in our first 23 episodes we've had the likes of ice ribbons Tekla and Akane Fujita, the mighty Lulu Pencil, the goat Bull Nakano, and stardom legends, the alpha female and Chris Wolf. And speaking of stardom legends, on this 24th episode of the Joshi Pod, we have cheerleader Melissa in the big main event interview. This is a real fun one for me. I've been 
basically watching Melissa since the start of her career. So we go into a little bit of her U.S. background and how it turned into her going into Japan. And uh, she became a pretty big player with uh, Stardom, bringing, helping bring talent over from the U.S. Uh, it's a real fun chat. She's a real, real fun person to talk to. She was so fun to talk to, I forgot to let Melissa plug her social medias. So let me do that for her now, and we'll do it again a little bit later. But you can follow her on Instagram, at RealFutureLegend. She has an OnlyFans, OnlyFans.com slash CheerleaderMelissa, and on Twitter, at FutureLegendCF. Um, she'd also like you guys to uh, visit Diva-Dirt.com. There may be some collaboration with uh, Diva Dirt and the Joshi Pod in the near future. Before we get to that big main event interview this week, I wanted to uh, continue the segment we started last week and talk about an online Joshi service. And that segment is brought to you by who else but Quiet White Designs. You guys know if you need a t-shirt, uh, podcast, artwork, anything, Snapchat filters, whatever you need, talk to Nolan and the team at Quiet White Designs. Find them on Facebook at Q-U-I-E-T-W-Y-A-T-T, one word, designs. I shouldn't probably make a t-shirt of that, of Q-U-I-E-T-W-Y-A-T-T, one word, designs. Uh, you can also find them on Twitter at Q-W-D underscore official. And they also have a website, qwdofficial.com. So the service we're going to talk about this week is called WrestleClick. It's a site where you can purchase individual matches. Not everybody's into streaming services or subscription services. Um, so kind of going a la carte here in, in picking the matches you want to see. Uh, while I'm researching for this uh, episode, I got pretty deep into the uh, rabbit hole here and uh, found a ton of Joshi talent on the site. Um, like Ray and, uh, Ray and Leon took on uh, Mia Yim and Davina Rose, who's Bailey. Uh, you can see uh, today's guest, Trillian Melissa, pretty much it's everybody. Um, Yumi Oka, Aquino, um, she faces former guests Thunder Rosa, Priscilla Kelly, Rio Riley. There's other matches on there with Chris Wolf, uh, Khan is on there, Asuka in WWE fighting Trillian Melissa in 2011 and 2014. Uh, some pretty cool matches with like Karushita uh, facing uh, Ember Moon on there. Um, Io Shirai's on there. They have matches from um, Shimmer, Chick Fight, Alternative Wrestling Shop, all, uh, APW from the Bay Area in California, JD Star, Stardom, Stardom USA. Yeah, there's just the Kyori Onyama's on there. Uh, Tsukasa Fujimoto's on there. Hiroya Matsumoto, Nanai Takahashi. Ayako Hamada, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Dash Jusako, Sumi Sakai, Makoto, Io Shirai. I'm not sure if I'm repeating some of these names. I'm going off the top of my head for all these uh, names I remember seeing on the um, on the site. Uh, Kairi Hojo, Mayu Uitani from Stardom. Uh, so there's a ton of, of Joshi, and then that's just a scratching the surface of what's on there. Um, so, again, it's just a, a couple bucks for a match. So, again, some people not, it's that... 10 bucks a month or whatever for a streaming service is not what you're looking for. Uh, Alley card it here. Go and, and type in a name. And uh, it's pretty cool to see some of these people before they were WWE uh, wrestlers, um, the, the women, and facing off against, um, uh, like, Karashita, like I said, against uh, Ember Moon. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. It's kind of a, a fun match we probably won't see anytime soon. But, uh, yeah, check that out. Um they also have men's matches as well. They've got matches where Cheerleader Melissa is facing like Super Dragon and uh, she's teaming with Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan in another match. 
So it, there's a, just a giant rabbit hole again. Uh, it's an a la carte service. Find the matches, the people you like. Pay a couple bucks. Watch those matches. Um, it's it's definitely a, a really fun, a different, excuse me, a different uh, type of, of uh, service online. But uh, check them out. You click wrestle.com. Again, visit clickwrestle.com. It allows you to uh, a la carte matches and pay a small fee per match. Hello, I'm Mitsuru. I love fear. I, I want fear from your country. Please, friend, fear. <laughs> Thank you for listening Joshi podcast. I will wait your beer. See you. Before I get to the big main event interview, again, I want to thank you guys for downloading and listening to this episode of the Joshi Pod. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can at the Joshi Pod. Remember to follow Chili to Melissa on Instagram at Real Future Legend. Uh, her OnlyFans is OnlyFans.com slash Chili to Melissa and on Twitter at Future Legend CF. Guys, thank again. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy this uh, chat with Melissa. Arigato gozaimasu. Uh, want to welcome to the Joshi Pod. This is uh, super exciting for me. I told her before we went on air that the first time I saw her was with the Ballard Brothers in Southern California, but that's not exactly true. The first time I saw her wrestle was at the Galaxy Theater in Los Angeles for UPW. She was wrestling Looney Lane. Welcome to the show, guys. You know her from Stardom. You know her from uh, Arceon. You know her from Lucha Underground, TNA, pretty much... Uh, staple of the Joshi wrestling women's wrestling community. Welcome to the show, cheerleader Melissa. Thanks for joining us on the Joshi Pod. Yes, thank you for having me, and thank you for that spectacular buildup. I would have never even thought of that for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the first time I saw you, like I said, was at the Galaxy Theater, so 2001, 2002, something like that, and in in Los Angeles or Santa Ana, Orange County, wrestling Looney Lane. How did somebody who's wrestling Looney Lane at the Galaxy and wrestling at the APW Garage, end up in Japan pretty much within a year of you starting your in-ring competition. Oh, well, funny you should say that. I want to say it was before that because I remember I went to Japan in 2002. And I, so we're talking like that had to have been earlier. That had to have been, oh, my gosh. I got to figure, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel I'm too like old. Like, I can't it, remember. Me too. Me too, but um, no, that is just like crazy that like um, you brought it up. How somebody go from wrestling Looney Lane? Like, did I wrestle Looney Lane? Because I honestly don't remember wrestling her at UPW in a singles match or anything. I think you did. I think I remember that. Unless I mean, my my mind is half gone anyway. But but I almost remember that. Hold I think on. we might let me go. Let me go to yeah, the magic, let me go to the this. Magic Cage match website real quick to see. Please do. Who you wrestled? I didn't have many matches at UPW. I'll tell you that much. All right. It says on August 22nd, 2001, you had a grudge match with Looney Lane at the Galaxy Theater. At the Galaxy Theater. Oh. Um, and then you had a match with uh, Shannon Ballard against Frankie Kazarian and Looney Lane in a, a mixed tag team match as well. I remember that, too. I remember that. 
And um, that was UPW see, rough, rough cut. It, it, it's so crazy because, um, well, realistically, like what happened, I mean, well, realistically, what happened was, is that, um, you know what, it's funny because I like, I forgot about the, I forgot about those, but, you know, to be honest, like I wasn't getting a lot of, I mean, if that's the only two matches I had, those are the only two matches I had over there. Cause I was not getting a lot of opportunities at UPW and I feel bad like saying that, but like, it's the absolute, but for me, it was the absolute truth. You know, um, I started training like at a super early age and then, um, you know, I was with the Ballad Brothers and then at UP and then they started here came UPW and I was a part of the team or whatever. So like, you know, real well no, you don't know. <laughs> but what's but it was very but for me it was, that was the reason how you go from going from Japan from UPW was like me just moving on and just like straight up like pure rejection, you know, like you know, I'm kind of you know I used to be so like bitter about like my UPW days but now I'm so grateful because it gave me like the drive to you know go on and move on and to bigger and better things and move on to move on to Japan because you know basically what happened was is that like you know uh, UPW they had I'm not going to like name names or anything but they had a manager who um basically like his gimmick was like, Oh, I want to manage all the international, I want to manage all the international wrestlers. So like, you know, I have like my international army or whatever. So the battle brothers were from Canada. And when he learned that, you know, Rick Bassman was helping the Ballards get a WWE tryout. Um, he was just like, Oh, truly mostly you're not a part of the team anymore. So he literally like kicked me off the team. <laughs> you know, <laughs> He literally like kicked me off. So that, and he went was it, was it a big guy? Was it a big guy that was the it, manager? It sure was. Oh, okay. Okay. It sure was. And he was just like, get out of here, move cha-cha. And I was just like, all right, fine. So, <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah. And like Ballard's like got a try and I wasn't allowed to go. And like, I was super like mad and bummed about that. And then like, there was and not, again, not naming names, but, um, I would, I was when I would show up to UPW classes, like I was clearly like way more advanced than the beginners classes, but then I would show up to the advanced classes and the trainer at the time literally told me, go home, uh, go home. Females don't belong in the advanced class. Jeez. Yeah. Literally to my face in front of everybody. And and I'm like, and I was young at the time. So like, I was just like horrified, humiliated. He's just like, what are you doing here? Girls don't belong in advanced class. And, like, it just sucked because I remember I was trying, you know, I mean, it was frustrating enough to get kicked off my own team. But then, like, I'm being rejected at the advanced class. And I was, like, clearly way advanced for the other, you know, for the beginners. And I was just like, all right, you know what? And I I remember, like, it took a three-hour drive to drive to UPW classes. And I was just like, whatever. And That's That's like three or four miles in Los Angeles, though, right? Right. Pretty much. Yeah. So then like, thankfully, you know, thankfully, um, I was still traveling with the Ballard Brothers when we worked all these other promotions, including All Pro Wrestling. And All Pro Wrestling really stood out because um, their talent was really good. And what I mean really good is, is that, you know, the Ballards and like they would have these matches with all the APW talent. And um, then that like you know, they were all just like really clean, really solid. 
basically they're the way that the APW wrestlers wrestled in the ring. Like we all automatically assume, oh, wow, these guys got like, you know, five, six, seven years experience. And we would ask them, so how long you been wrestling? Oh, you know, a year and a half. And we're like, what? And I remember thinking, like, what is the training like over here? Like, how are these guys wrestling that good in that short a time? So that was really what happened. It was just like, you know, I was getting the pushback from UPW. And I was just like, well, going to APW. And then it was up in APW is when I got connected um, with Japan. Who was the, uh, the conduit? Who was the person that got you in contact with somebody from Japan? Um. Basically, it was a girl who was already in Arceon. Do you remember um, Jessica, Bionic J? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. So she lived in the Bay Area. So she lived, and Opera Wrestling was in the Bay Area. So um, I think basically at the time, Arceon was like looking for new talent, and Arceon got in contact with um, their American team who, con- you know, who contacted Bionic J and she's just like, Hey, I heard they got some, um, t- girls at the opera wrestling school. I'll swing by. So, you know, thankfully, like I was in the right place at the right time when I got connected with her. So was it a dream of yours to, to go to Japan to wrestle? Well, definitely. Well, at the time, definitely. Like you gotta remember, you know, I, you know, I was, really training my butt off like with opera wrestling and like there weren't at the time there weren't a lot of local females to work with and like the way I was training was like no different you know than like how all the males trained I was really like putting 100% into it and um and I have had like a few like WWE tryouts at the time and the best explanation I could say is I was trying out or I was, you know, asking for a job that didn't exist, mm. you know, cause we had, you know, like the diva era and all of that. And that's just like, never was me. And, you know, for me in my brain, I was just like, that was my only option. You know, it's like, I need to try to get over there because that's what I'm looking for. Cause you're a wrestler. Yeah. That's yeah. what I, that's what I, I always remember that about you. When I saw you wrestle, I was like, she's a wrestler. She's not, you know, no offense to Looney Lane, if you're listening, I love you, Looney. But I mean, it's it, it was just a little bit different, I think, you know, than than some of the other women that were yeah. out there. No, no, and it was. And if you were like a Looney Lane or like any of the other girls, you know, out there, then like, yeah, you got a lot of bookings on UPW, you got a lot of attention, and like that's fine for what it was because, you know, that was basically the industry at the time, and it just, you know, wasn't really a fit for me. You know, like I always. Like, just always kind of felt like an outcast. So when you went over to Japan, did you fly over with Bionic J? No, I flew over with Taylor Matheny. The girl from Tough Enough? Yep. <laughs> that's that, that's quite a bit of difference from, uh, <laughs> from where you're at in your career. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so I'm what was it like? Now. So we, I'm guessing you were crazy excited to fly over to Japan. What was it like when you first arrived in Japan? You know, probably, it was probably my first time in, like, you know, it's one thing to go to a, a country like Canada because everybody speaks English and it's not that different. But it's, you know, definitely an experience when you're young and to go into a foreign country where just, like, everything is different and the lifestyle is different. So I think 
I think for me, like the wrestling and training was like more exciting, but it was just getting used to, you know, the culture and getting around and communicating, you know, but it's so much fun. It's so great because your brain goes into survival mode, you know, and you're just always like, you know, you're not just like learning wrestling. You're just like learning how to survive and how to get around and just kind of make your way. And this is before there was, you know, uh, apps on your phone that could tell you where to get from here to here to oh here to here. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on that <laughs> right now. Oh, my God. That is so true. Because I, I went out there in 2002. 2002. So it's just so funny that from 2002, from the last time I was there, I don't remember the last time I was there. I think it was... 16 or 17 maybe 17 I don't remember but like and then I see the younger talent out there and they're like oh catch with the apps and I get so mad I'm like oh my god do you know how many nights I've got lost because the train stop at a certain hour and I'm trying to use a paper map and I'm getting sent to different train stations and I don't know how to get home And if you get out of the city, I mean, there's there's like no English on any signs at all out there. Either. No, you're, not you're, nothing. Yeah, you're you're pretty stuck. Oh my gosh, yeah. Thankfully, like if that ever happened, like I figured, I learned how to just take a taxi and basically just take a taxi to um, the train station that was nearest to the place we were staying, and then I just like walk home from that train station. <laughs> 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 yes. That so was a, that was normal. 2002. I mean, that's uh, a bit of old school time of of Joshi wrestling. What was the training like for for Joshi wrestling at that time? Um, so it was for Arsion, and you have to remember that, like, in comparison to American training, people are balancing a job. They're training two, two, two or three times a week for a few hours or whenever they can. Um, out there, if you're contracted. Um, it's your job. It's your job. Like we were there all day long. Um, and even though the training was like excruciating at times, because basically they had a, at the time there was this huge like warehouse building, like a big warehouse building on the bottom floor. There's the ring, there was, um, the showers, some bathrooms, the kitchen, and then upstairs were all the bedrooms and Taylor. And I shared a bedroom, so it was all the bedrooms, and we had, like, a small bathroom up there, but, like, it, we lived there. It was just, like, we were doing it 20, like, it was all the time. Like, we got up in the morning, and then we trained for a couple hours, and then we had a one-hour break, and then um, and then uh, we trained for a couple more hours, like, the normal routine training practice stuff, and then if we wanted to learn anything more, then we had to stay after that. So there were days where like training could be anywhere from, you know, five to eight hours. And that's like without a break. And it's just depending on like how long we stayed afterwards. You know, were you, so were yeah. you physically prepared before you went over there to, to handle that kind of training? I don't think anybody's physically prepared to like for that kind. But um but we caught on really but caught on pretty quickly though caught up pretty quickly I mean it's just you just got in the routine and here's the thing like when we got brought over there and like those were long days but um young girls you know the green girls that are there like that barely started before we even got out there I mean they were clean I mean they were just they lived there at the dojo too but 
they cleaned for everybody. Um, they um, washed everybody's uh, gear. Um, they prepared and like packaged everybody's gear. Um, after the main training, the evening was done. They always cooked for the senseis. So like they even had like a lot more responsibilities than we did. Like we had, you know, we had almost as much as they did. Like I would say we had as much as they did as far as like training and like ring crew. Cause I was part of the deal. Like we were like part of the ring crew too. And like, we were the green girls as well. I would say the only thing extra that they did on, you know, besides the ring crew and training was, you know, definitely like the cooking and washing, like all like the talents gear And um, like we went, when we had a tour bus, you know, everybody had assigned seating, like everybody had their own row and everybody had like their own like special setup, like their own special pillows and blankets and everything. And like, they set all that up and like, same thing for like the locker rooms, like before, like the, the main, you know, the senior talent got there. Um, the green girls set up everybody's spot in the locker room, you know, with names, labels, um, trash bins, like how they want their station set up. So like, yeah, it was like pretty detailed back in the day. So them being so disciplined and so detailed, I mean, is, is that what makes them better wrestlers in the long run? <laughs> I mean, seriously, the Japanese wrestlers are, are better than most American wrestlers. Does it, does it start from like that point, if, you know, when they first get in there, they have to do all these things, you know, just teaching discipline, teaching routine, teaching, you know, what they need to do? And that's, yeah, I mean, I think I, I would attribute that more to um, character. You know, that's a big factor to everybody's character. Like, it's so funny. Not, you know, I live in Las Vegas now, and it wasn't that long ago. It was like a couple of years ago. So Mariko Yoshida was uh, uh, my trainer, like my main trainer and everything. And if you look at her history, it was so funny. Like, get this. Like, Mariko Yoshida was a green girl when Medusa was at All Japan Women. Mm. Right? So that's like a trip. That was a trip <laughs> for me when, like, when I learned that. When I learned that. But. You know, it's just so funny how, like, like her work ethic was so good. And it wasn't that long ago that um, a couple of years ago she hit me up. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, hey, you're doing good. you doing okay? She's like, oh, I want to come to Las Vegas. And I'm like, yeah, of course, anytime. She's like, great, I arrived July 13th. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> Okay, she was serious. <laughs> uh, she, uh, she's like three weeks. Okay, and I'm like, sure, <laughs> come on over. <laughs> but like, but it was just so great, like reconnecting with her and spending time with her and hang out. And it's just what a. And the thing is, like, the reason why I bring this up is because what a great, sweet person. I cannot put that over enough about her. Just. Even like, you know, she's my guest for like three weeks and she just helped out absolutely like whenever she could. And, you know, I really do. And everybody that I know now and that I wrestled with in Japan 2002 are like that. They're just, I mean, they're just so humble. They're kind hearted. Like they all have great work. And there's just such great people to this day. And I just think that's so important to bring that to like younger talent for, you know, 20 years down the road and makes them like who they are. So going back to that time, was there anybody you got in the ring with that just kind of just blew your mind about how good they were? Uh, Akino. Mm. Akino, Nokia, same thing. But, you know, Akino was really good, crazy good. She still is. 
crazy enough. I'm pretty sure she's still wrestling. Um, you know who like had really crazy charisma was Lioness Asuka. I was going to ask you about her. Crazy charisma, like her fans were just bonkers about her, and that blew my mind. Like her charisma, like everything she did was great, but like, oh my god, like when she came out, connected with the audience, that was just mind blowing to me. How did the fans take to you when you first went over? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, whatever. Um, I think, I think they took, um, pretty good. They had us as a heel team. So it was me, Taylor and Jessica. And we were like, of course, like the evil U.S. people. And I think like our team was called U.S. Invasion. And I'm like, <laughs> now, as I say it right now, I'm like, oh my God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time. It was a different time. It was a way different time. <laughs> I know. It was such a... <laughs> It was just a way different time. Was there but like, I, you know how like merch, they do the merch, the crazy merch now. Was there merch and stuff and, and, and meeting with the fans back in 2002 as well? Yeah, I don't feel that that's changed at all. There's always, everybody was always very interactive with the merchandise and how they like set it up um, before shows, during shows and after shows. I mean, you, I mean, you've been, I'm sure you've been to several shows in Japan. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that hasn't changed at all. Did they know who Taylor Matheny was from Tough Enough or no? I mean, I'm sure um, Rossi Ogawa probably promoted it and wrote that name a little bit every time she was advertised in like the pamphlets and flyers. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the hardcore fans knew who she was. You know, because you got to remember, like, you know, Rossi Ogawa, you know, Arzion, Stardom, um, you know, he's he clearly his promotions, anything that he's worked in or had his hand in, he's clearly like got his own style. Mm-hmm. You know, like the foreigner, you know, basically foreigners versus um, Japanese and like mixing it all up and stuff like that. So to have kind of a high profile name foreigner in the mix, you know, he's going to ride that coattail for a while. <laughs> we'll get to more about Rossi in a bit. <laughs> Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so you, you, you left in exactly 2000. That's what I signed up for. I went talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know it was coming. <laughs> so you left in 2002. Good. Do you think you made a, a – I mean, obviously, you made – you did. But when you left, did you think you made a positive impression when you left at the end of your tour? Oh, geez, I hope so. In two, wait, in 2002? Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I know it was good for me. I'm sure I did because he brought me back off and on like way later on in life. So that's good. But your confidence, I mean, you were confident after you left that, hey, I I did it pretty good. Yeah, you know what? I was young and I think I, you know, wasn't really sure because, you know, it was just such a game changer. And then, you know, to be honest, when I came home, that's when, like, things, like, really changed. That's when, like, my style, my bookings, and, like, everything, like, really changed, you know? And I'm, like, really grateful for that experience because it just really helped me out and elevated me in the United States. So people, promoters, you know, companies, when you come back from Japan, there's a little shine on you from the little, the, the you know, the extra? There's a little shine, but there was a really hard lesson that came with that, too. Because here's the thing, like going back to the Bowen Brother days, 
you know, basically the cheerleader gimmick was given to me by the Ballard brothers, but you know, we both know there's no, there's, there's no cheerleaders in hockey. Come on. <laughs> like, really? Like, are they on ice skates? Like, you know, like there's no cheerleaders in hockey. Like, come on. <laughs> but I was cheerleader Melissa of a hockey team. So anyways, so when I came home, you know, I'm thinking like, Oh, I'm just going to be Melissa. I'm going to be so great. And everybody's going to love me as just Melissa. And I tried that for a while when I came home from Japan. Oh boy, did that not work out for me at all? (laughs) You know? And that was like a big like lesson on how much entertainment is such a big role and big factor in the world of professional wrestling, because you know, I was just such a little meathead at the time and such like, I want to be a wrestler. And I was just so into that. And that's what I realized. I had to bring like the pom-poms and the skirt back and show it and Melissa back. And I was just like, oh, but you know what? I did it. I rolled with it. <laughs> so <laughs> you continued your career on and you, you don't go back to Japan for another, was it three years, I guess? Right. And they, do, and they went through a lot of changes too. They went from, I think Arzion cut, shut down and then they were a to z and then they shut down again like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of changes going on so you did a couple of like a couple of one-offs or a couple of uh, small tours what, what was it like to go back five years or three years later and then five years later how had japan changed how had you changed how had how had it pretty much everything changed in those years that you were gone i don't feel like it really changed that i mean to be honest i you know the first time i was in japan i was there for three months and i were actually longer than that so the other tours I did after that weren't that long and we were like constantly back to back to back there was really like no downtime in between so I mean for you to throw that question at me I was just like oh I don't have an answer for that one (laughs) it's like I, I wouldn't say that that much changed but working for um different companies was certainly really cool and really fun though so you make your big triumphant return in 2014 with stardom right thrown into the deep end pretty much pretty quickly with uh, a match with eo oh yeah i remember that <laughs> where were you at in your career as far as your in-ring abilities your your mental where you're at mentally and what were you thinking when you came back you know so many years later to, to japan uh to be honest i was surprised because um Honestly, that year or, you know, that time frame, it was really shocking to me because I was doing like a lot of things for myself. Like I was kind of, I mean, honestly, I was like really enjoying life and, you know, I was getting, you know, at the time I was like in one of like the best shapes of my life. And I, you know, it's so funny. It's almost like I started this phase of just like, oh, you know, whatever, whatever happens, what happens. I'm like, I'm not trying to go anywhere, trying to do anything. You know, I was just really enjoying everything. And, like, when I started getting titles from multiple companies in the United States, I actually was, I was like, really? Like, why? So shocked. So, and then here came the booking with, like, stardom. I'm like, sure, why not? Okay, cool. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And, And then when I went over there, to be honest, it was really great, like, catching up with, it was really great catching up with, uh, Rossi Ogawa and, um, and then, like, meeting all the new talent. And then, like, when I met EO, oh, my God. Like, it was really fun um, or interesting just learning about her background and um, because she has a gymnastics background. 
and watching her perform in the ring, you know, when I wasn't wrestling her, um, God, what an exceptional talent, you know. So R- Rossi's a bit of an enigma to, to wrestling fans. People have I talked to you, you know, Fumi Saito, right? Of course. He, he and I chatted about Rossi a couple times when I was yeah. over in Tokyo and stuff. But from your perspective, from a wrestler's perspective, explain uh, what makes Rossi uh, special, wacky, all the above, whatever. Just to explain explain Rossi to us. I wouldn't even go wacky or weird or anything. Um, uh, the best way to describe it is that like Rossi is a businessman. He's sure like he's a promoter but he's a businessman and he's always going he's always going to make decisions on what's marketable and most profitable and that's why he's always stand up stood out and that's always why you know if there were ever you know various opinions from very various wrestlers about him about his decisions you know you have to remember that like he's always going to do things for either like the shock value or what he thinks is going to make, you know, the most money for the company at the time. And one thing I always liked to respect about Rossi is like, no matter like what issues or problems like come out, he's very quick to like throw things under the water, you know, for the sake of what's best for the company, at, you know, for stardom or what's best for the company at the time, making decisions for the company, you know, and like, It's very funny because, like, I would absolutely say the same thing, you know, like about Vince Russo. I worked for Vince Russo at Impact or TNA at the time. And, you know, there's a lot of popular and unpopular opinions about him's decisions. And Russo and I have had disagreements on on plenty of stuff. But we, Russo and I, like, get along because we respect, not only do we respect each other, but we under, I understand I, I, you have to, you just have to look at things from other people's point of view and through mm-hmm. other people's eyes and just know that they're pitching these ideas and making the, these decisions for the best interests of the company in the long run, in the bigger picture. What's going to keep the company alive three, four, ten years from now, you know? And, you know, some people have opinions about it in a short-term sense, good or bad or whatever, but... I mean, I will say that, like, they're long-term thinkers, and that's the best way to put it. And Rossi's been nothing but successful. I mean, geez, yeah. look at his track yeah. record. Yeah, no, he he loves to create stars, and he loves to create stars from scratch. And when he brings people on, you know, he can, I mean, realistically, he can figure out, like, you know, who's going to, who's someone that can be very productive in the long run, you know, within a time frame. And he's never changed. I will say that right now. He has never changed, <laughs> never changed. He is. It was so funny when I went back there years later, I was like, Oh my God, you have not changed one bit. You're <laughs> still a bad driver. <laughs> he still has snazzy suits. Huh? He still has snazzy suits that he wears yes, with nice hats. Yes. The suits, the hats, <laughs> Yes, like in I don't know if anybody else has ever said the same podcast, but he's like a terrible driver. He's the worst driver ever. <laughs> and that has not changed. It was so funny because I was involved. So what happened was is that um, I was involved with um, 
uh, with Medusa's comeback, not comeback, but she came back, she came to stardom and her and Bonacano had that like kind of reunion at stardom. I don't know if mm-hmm. you like recall that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was involved, I was involved with that. And then when we got like Medusa over to Japan, like even she said the same thing, she's just like, oh, Rossi, you're still a terrible driver. <laughs> <laughs> you drive on the wrong side, the steering wheel's on the wrong side. What do you want? Oh no! It goes. Have you, have you ever tried that. to drive in Japan? He let me drive in Japan. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. I said that. <laughs> that's I, I'm, bad. Ter- I'm terrified too. I, I'm not sure. I always when well, I go there, it's like, oh, I want to rent a car and drive. I'm like, mm, it's probably not a good idea. Well, it was okay. Well, I can't see. This is so bad. I can't believe you let me do that. But it was years ago. It's okay. We can look back and laugh. But uh, but uh, when I was out there, um, they did a couple shows in Osaka. So Osaka is like a drive from like LA to San Francisco. It's a good like you know, six to eight hours, depending on, like, how many stops, traffic, blah, 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 you know, and then it was so funny, I was just like, I was just like, yeah, you should let me, I really was kidding, like, because, like, I talk a lot of smack, not expecting anything to happen, and I'm like, yeah, of course, Ross, you should let me drive, he's like, really, I'm like, yeah, he's like, are you a good driver, I'm like, I'm an excellent driver, no tickets, he's <laughs> like, you have your license, I'm like, yeah, I got my license right here, not knowing he was going to say yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> he called your bluff, huh? He totally called my bluff. <laughs> and he was just like, okay, just for a couple hours. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. But luckily, like, when when he did let me, like, drive the van, um, it was only for, like, a couple hours on the freeway. So there was really, like, no – it was basically an on-ramp and off-ramp, and I had somebody in front, like, just telling me, like, where to go. Yeah. But it was – there was no, like, right turn, left turn, left turn. Like, like, it wasn't – it was basically freeway. I would not change the lane. I would stay in the same lane the entire time. I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> you bet I wasn't changing lanes. <laughs> when Fumi and I drove around last time I was there, and he was making turns and stuff, I was, like, flinching. He's like, oh, we're going the wrong – oh, no, it's Japan. We're going the right way. <laughs> Oh my gosh, what a jerk. I can totally see him doing that, though. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you come back in, well, let's get back on track here a little bit here with the in the ring. So you come back and you defeat Io Shirai when you come back for the uh, the five star. Mm-hmm. Rossi must have saw something from him to put you over uh, Io that quickly. God, I hope so. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So you went back for the five star. Did you have to go through the training and stuff, the day to day, all that kind of good stuff? With was it Nanai who was training at the time? Yes, Nanai. Yes, she was training at the time. Um, I will and participated in everything, um, but definitely by then times have changed. Um, meaning it wasn't it wasn't um, the eight hour training days basically. So like back in Arzion, Arzion had a building. They had their own building, had their own warehouse. It was not airplane hair huge, but it was like really huge, you know? So, but now, but then by then, um, basically what I learned is that, um, lots of wrestling companies paid for and had a reserved time slot at the zero one dojo. Mm. Yeah. So going to training every day, you know, it went from long days to like, you had to be at training from, you know, these hours to these, you know, certain out. I think our training was, um, from two to five weekdays. And that was a requirement. We had to be there 2 PM to 5 PM weekdays. So, um, and that was strictly all wrestling training, um, which 
I would say as far as wrestling training, that wasn't that much different because in ASEAN, um, it was still the same amount of training. Just the only difference is that in the early morning, we were doing two hours of like cardio and weights and core and stability. It was all like gym training, not wrestling training. So in the style of, of wrestling, it changed a bit too, I think from, from 2002 to 2014 in Japan. What The in-ring style changed. What would you say the biggest difference was in style with Arceon to to stardom? That's really tough because I'm, I, you know, to be honest, I think that all that all depends on like who the current senseis are at the time. Because, you know, everybody's got like their own opinions. Some people are more old school. Some people are more uh, modern, um, you know, because I was at Stardom when Nane was there. And then I also came back to Stardom when Nane was no longer there. <laughs> and now Io was a big trainer. So when I was so when Io was there and in charge of training, um, she really like implemented like a lot of her um, gymnastics uh, training, training into wrestling, which. I thought was really was really cool. Was she still like on like the early younger side? Um, yeah, but she but she was good for the company because she was bringing a lot of innovative stuff and innovative training, you know, techniques to practices every day, which was great because you know she had me doing stuff that I like I would never try or do again ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you know she was. And she was super great. And um, it was just, you know, the transitional times, you know, when it came to like Rossi and the companies were just crazy and complicated every time, you know, things changed. But um, clearly I would, you know, when you say times, honestly, it's just, I mean, who's the main person at the time? You know, Mm -hmm. what do they want? What's, what's the bigger vision? You know, and that's also a discussion with the promoter. You know, mm. what is the promoter's bigger vision? Because, you know, when Nana was in charge or when Io was in charge, whenever I go to stardom, like meet, they had meetings regularly on how trading was going. Mm. You know, so they so Rossi always had to make sure that um, the training accommodated his bigger vision. Make mm. sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in 2015, the, the roster was pretty stacked in stardom you know the Kyrie hojos the mm-hmm. you the nikki storms are there you know mm-hmm. the mai watani's you know mm-hmm. all these these this talent hudson envy I, i'm a big fan of hudson envy mm-hmm. as well she yeah. she was there mm-hmm. i mean that was that's, a, that's a pretty stacked roster at the time mm-hmm. yeah so how did you become okay so Getting away from the ring, how did you become a person with influence as far as bringing talent over from the U.S. over to Japan? Well, it started people, with, people, funny you. Uh-huh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, people, many, many people have brought up your name as the one who's helped them get over to Japan. Wow, that's very flattering. Wow. Um, but, yeah, um, I mean, going back to reconnecting with Rossi, um, and Rossi and I, like, have this history or whatever, and... Um, and I remember, because you brought up Hudson Envy, um, Rossi was looking for uh, a heel character at the time to bring in. And I had just, like, met Hudson, Hudson, and I felt like Hudson was a really good fit for what Rossi was really 
looking for at the time. And really that's how it all started and kind of got the ball rolling because, you know, I recommended Hudson and like, she worked out really well the first tour that she came over. And then like somebody like Thunder Rosa, you helped bring mm-hmm. over as well. Mm-hmm. Is that well, through the, that's that through the whole Bay area? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it kind of just snowballed after that really. Cause after Hudson and then Ross was like, because I think here's the thing. I think Rossi really trusted me at the time because I felt like that he knew that um, I knew what he would always be looking for as far as talent wise at the time, because it's different every time. So for example, normally it's, it's actually more uncommon for unless he really, really like needs like a monstrous or like heel persona, it's very uncommon for him to be looking for that because like, it's so funny. Like one of the issues that I dealt with so much at the time was tattoos, believe it or not, <laughs> because a lot of people who like are familiar with Japanese culture, if you have a tattoo, you're associated with the Yakuza. So like, so, so Hudson has a few few tattoos well yeah (laughs) yeah let's not like understate that (laughs) girlfriend is covered in them and that was like my concern too like and I already knew that from like way way before but one thing that you know what this goes to answer your question of how Japan has evolved since then when I went back because like I would say like in the modern cities like in the um you know, like basically in the city, not the suburbs, but basically in the cities, um, people are definitely a lot more relaxed about tattoos, not in the suburbs, but but definitely in like in the cities. It's, you know, it's not that uncommon to be foreigners, to have foreigners walking around everywhere. And in wrestling, in stardom, um, you know, tattoos were always like a tricky issue because, you can't be like half and half. You either have to like have little to none or have like a whole lot in extreme like Hudson Epi. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because then there's a clear definition image wise as far as the entertainment uh, perspective, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so that was one of the things like I dealt with. So when like at the time when I helped Hudson come over, you know, he's for a heel, you got like this girl with a hardcore look covered in tattoos had to tell, you know what I mean? Like he was absolutely loving it because it's a clear definition. She's got a clear image. Mm-hmm. She's just got an image when she comes out, she's got a presence, you know, when she came out, you know, you can hear the audience like, Oh my gosh, look at this girl, you know, and it's what he wants, you know, like going back to, you know, what Rossi views as like very entertainment and he knows his audience very well. So you you had your final tour there in 2015 with Stardom. Why didn't you go back, don't you think? Um, that, honestly, I, uh, I'm kind, that's when I kind of started transitioning into retirement. And I don't want to mm-hmm. say that because you know how it is. Wrestlers say they retire and then they come back and then they retire and they come back and they retire and come back. So no, I'm not having that retirement conversation with anybody. <laughs> like I'm, clearly happy and satisfied with the work I've done in Japan I'm good I'm cool like I'm not gonna do a retirement tour and then come back again like 
and do another retirement tour and come back again. Like, no, do not put me in that. Do not put me there ever. <laughs> like, that's just a no. Like, I'm very happy to casually, like, fade out quietly. <laughs> I'm good. Yes. But occasional tours over to Japan aren't so bad, are they? If I was a tourist, yes. <laughs> Can I go over there as a tourist for once? I don't want to go there for work. Is that bad? No. I just want to go. I just want to go there to party. I don't want to go there to work. I, I stayed in Shinjuku this last time. Oh my goodness. Oh, good for you. Proud of you. Yes. That's a, the first time I'd stayed there, and it's oh my goodness, yeah. Did you stay up all night? Yes. Too, Until too the ma- trains. Too many times. <laughs> oh my god, good for you. I'm very proud of you. So you had a, a very good career after Japan as well. I mean, the 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 TNAs, the um, Lucha, well, Underground. Lucha Underground. Yeah, Lucha yeah. Underground was more after. Yeah. Yeah, but you you've, you had I mean, besides Japan, yeah. you've had an outstanding uh, wrestling career. Are are you satisfied completely with where you with what you've done in your wrestling career? Well, yeah, and it hasn't stopped because now I've definitely transitioned. I've transitioned and just being to like a consultant slash trainer out here in like, you know, in the Las Vegas area. And like one of my little like pride and joys right now is, um, you know, when, so like Katie Forbes, Katie Forbes and RVD moved out to Las Vegas and like mm-hmm. became my neighbors and, um, and RVD like came on to the company with impact and like Katie really like wanted to be on too, you know? So let me tell you, like, after her first match, we got together and we just started just, like, working and working and working and working on stuff. And she is just, like, so amazing and so great because, like, let me tell you, like, her work ethic is so good. Like, I've never had to push her. Like, I would wake up in the morning and get texts from her. She's just like, want to train today? And I'm like, sure. And she can <laughs> get me. <laughs> and I'll be like, all right, you know, let's do this, you know, because working for Impact before, like, I kind of know, like, the ins and outs and, like, you know, what they're, you know, what they would look for or would not look for or whatever. And, like, having Katie get signed to Impact was just, like, so amazing. Like, it was like watching, you know, your child graduate college or something. Like, I was just so <laughs> proud of her. Proud of her. I mean, and we're, it's so funny. We were just, like, talking earlier today because we're so bummed with, like, this quarantine lifestyle. You know, happy quarantine. You know, <laughs> we haven't been able to, like, get in the ring or, like, do anything, whatever. So, like, I feel like everybody's just kind of going back to the ring rest days, you know. <laughs> but but um, that's kind of, like, you know, what I've been transitioning to. You know, it's a lot of help. I have a lot, another student out here. Um uh, her name's uh, Teresa. She's going by either uh, Zoe or Lacey Ryan. I think she's like transitioning to like her first name, like Zoe. But um, it's funny, like her husband, Tom Howard, was one of my trainers at UPW. The good one, not the one that rejected me. The good one. <laughs> <laughs> the good one, the nice ones. Yeah, but it was, but like. He's underrated, but, I think. I think not enough people know about underrated. him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. No, so great. So when they moved out here, it was so great to reconnect with him. But um, his wife is like so good. Like he's done such an amazing job, like training her. And then when we met, you know, I brought in basically just kind of brought brought in my 
consulting side from my Japan days and my impact days, the Lucha Underground days, you know, so I'm like really looking forward to like seeing her to evolve to something great. It's just so frustrating right now because like there was a lot of things like happening for her, happening for her. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, oh my <laughs> God, the world is literally against you, honey. <laughs> So do you think in, in like 30 years when people hear this podcast, they'll be like, what pandemic, what quarantine? They'll have to like Wikipedia to find out what the quarantine was. <laughs> I don't know. I think that all depends on how long this lasts. We don't know. We're only we're only partway through this. Yeah. We don't know if we're halfway. We don't know if we're just getting started. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. What if like next year this time we're still like cooped up in our homes? We don't know. We'll have part 34 of our interview series. Oh, gosh. And you know what? You take advantage while you can, because normally I don't like to do podcasts. So, like, <laughs> the fact that you caught me at a good time and there was nothing to do. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Take it. That's why do you think I was just like, let's go now? <laughs> For those of you just joining in, he texted me like five minutes before this podcast started. Be like, sure, let's do this. <laughs> I had to I had to drop the Ballard Brothers names on her a little bit and the, sweeten her up a little bit by saying, "Oh, I watched you wrestle way back when," and she's like, "Let's do it." Oh yeah, right. <laughs> well, Melissa, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. It well, was a I great. Well, I hope uh, it was entertaining and somewhat fun. Oh, it was. I think uh, a lot of people. Um, a lot of current stardom people need to go back and watch some of the older stuff too and see who led the way, who set the path for for the current stars and, and the current gaijin that are over there. And you were one of the uh, – you're the, one of the first gaijin I remember over in stardom. So, and, uh, no, I definitely appreciate that. And it was just – and it was really cool to be a part of that, you know, process of stardom, um, helping girls get over there. Um, but, yeah, like going back to, like, you asked how times have changed, you know, now stardom – uh, is is under different ownership and to be honest like I honestly don't know what the inner workings you know what I mean like I'm not really like involved in that new process anymore but I'm happy to be involved during the time frame that I was and I'm happy to you know help talent evolve and like you know move forward in their careers and remember like um you know I was involved in like EO and um Kaibi and Mayu were part of Lucha Underground. Mm-hmm. Remember? So that was fun. Yeah, they they blew they blew everybody's minds when they went, were on that show. The sh- yeah. Uh, let me tell you, like that situation could not have worked out perfectly. That that was a situation where like all the stars lined up in a row, and it just happened to happen. Like that was originally not supposed to happen. Well, tell us what what happened. Well, like, what happened was is that um, at the time, I was really heavily involved with the Cauliflower Alley Club at the time, and mm. I had, um, and Stardom, Stardom doesn't take breaks normally. Um, they're a real company. They film TV every weekend, and all their girls are under contract, and they have a schedule, and um, just like most companies, they have, like, a two-week vacation, and Rossi Ogawa likes to, you know, work on vacation. So that's when, like, the start of USA, USA shows came about. Mm-hmm. And then we got those going. And it just so happened to, like, match up with a couple of TV tapings. And then Lucha Underground talked to me. And I was like, oh, okay. And I 
talk to stardom and and they were coming over as like it was just one of those things where like it just happened to work out timing wise because for any stardom talent to take time away from their contractual obligations television wise is just that doesn't happen Mm-mm. Mm-mm. so what do you think about the women that are here now that are in the states wrestling the stardom women like EO and Kaidi yeah. I mean, they're doing great. What do you think? <laughs> oh, they're they're amazing. I mean, yeah, they're doing good. Does it surprise you a little bit that they left Japan to come here to the states to wrestle? I mean, not at all because they killed on Lucha Underground. I'm sure WWE and the other companies were going gaga for them. It's just because um, before that was like when they had to start on like USA or some shows. Um, you know, Lucha Underground, you know, really wanted them for like an episode. And like I said, it just happened to work mm. out timing wise. And Lucha Underground is not a wrestling company. Uh, they're a legit TV show, which means that everything is pre-taped and it's seasonal. It's seasons. Mm-hmm. Pro wrestling not seasonal. It's no. all year round. Yeah, it's all year round. You know, so... Isn't it weird? Is it a weird thing where Americans or foreigners want to go to Japan and J- Japanese want to come to America to, and around the world to wrestle? I just find that kind of funny, you know, that we all want what we don't have. Uh, that's true, but I feel like that's what makes us grow. Yeah. That makes right. us grow. That's what makes us grow. It's just going to somewhere where we're not comfortable. And, you know, like I was explaining earlier, our brains go into survival mode. I mean, that's how we grow is when we're out of our comfort zone. You know, yeah. when we stay too long of our comfort zone, we don't grow. We don't expand. We don't, you know, and it's just you get stale and you stay in the same place. You know, like and I knew going back to my story at the beginning of our podcast, I knew it was going to get stale. You know, I wasn't really getting anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. UPW wasn't like giving me a shot. You know, it was just like I was getting kicked out of like pro class. And, like, I had to just, like, move on and, like, try to find something to, like, expand. Yeah. You're yeah, right. I mean, no, you're, you're right. You're 100% right. Yeah. I mean, you have to grow. Like, we all have to grow as human beings to better ourselves and find, like, what our true path in life is. And I really feel that Kaidi and Io are just finding their true path, like, what they were put on this earth to. And I'm, like, and I'm really not, like, that kind of person or spiritual or anything like that. But, I mean, they're here for that. And they're the right people for that. And they're the right people at the right time. Yeah, they're so, they're so, so good. Yeah, it just worked out like, you know, just so great. And this is just such a small detail, but I love that Io and like her sister, I've wrestled her sister before in Mexico, Io Mio. Mm -hmm. But I just love that, you know, you have a, two girls with an incredible athletic competitive gymnastics background that transitioned to pro wrestling. And now one of those girls is changing the game in the United States. That's a cool thing to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So cool. And then you have Kana who's kind of old school a little bit still too. <laughs> She'll just oh, beat Kana. you up. <laughs> Kana. Yes. I've wrestled her in shimmer and I need to connect with her cause I know she's out here in Las Vegas too. So you should. That'd be awesome. No, I totally need to, but you know, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All you right. Know, virus. <laughs> let's let's try to 
right, let's try to close. Let's try to close the show again. Melissa, thank you. Thanks so much for your time. Okay, thank you. Enjoy your dark Las Vegas right now, which I oh, yes. can't imagine. I mean, I've been to Vegas a thousand times in my life. I can't imagine going there and it just being dark. That would be very strange. Don't even imagine it. Let's just hopefully we'll connect when everything's lit up. How about that? Yes, I'm always in Vegas at least two, three times a year. So let's uh, maybe meet up sometime while I'm there. Well, very good. We're in connect. We're in contact now. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great.